It is just past 7 o'clock and a massive show on tap for you this evening. It's time for Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. And Ira, I got to tell you, I did nothing yesterday except watch football from basically 10 a.m. till 10 p.m. My couch has a permanent indent on it from me, and I could not have been happier. It was the best Sunday in a long time, and I have a feeling you did about the same. Well, I'm up in New York, so I was the standard of trying to find a sports bar that was so I can watch all my games at one time. I went to one place, and they said it was an outside, nice TVs, four TVs outside, and they said, we're going to be showing soccer today. And I'm like, what? soccer? And, <laughs> and I'm like, I go, why? And they go, because I want to watch it. The bartender said that. So I immediately had called an audible, you know, SOS. You know, and someone said, there's this bar out in the Hamptons. They have five TVs. They have what perfect was actually great. Got five TVs. So I watched five football games. And then they turned to the Islanders game uh, on about three o'clock in the afternoon. So it was perfect. And uh, same thing, watching my tennis, uh, watching football, watching a little basketball, getting a little hockey. So it was a tremendous day for me. It really was. So let's get right into it because there's so much to talk about with the full slate of NFL games under our belt, save for the two Monday night games tonight. First game of the week. Ira, and I got to tell you, this is one of the games I was the most wrong about, and it was Kansas City and Houston, and I was campaigning to everybody who would listen to me, oh man, nine and a half points is a lot. Houston's a playoff team from last year. They almost beat KC, take that nine and a half points, and I knew I was wrong about, I don't know, halfway through the first quarter. <laughs> well, they, they jumped out to a 7 nothing lead, the Texans did, in this matchup of the two quarterbacks from 2017, the 10th pick and the 12th pick, they would just signed the two highest-paid quarterbacks in, in the league or two highest-paid football players of all time. Uh, but, boy, Patrick Mahomes, just the weapons they have. I mean, now they have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I drafted him in my fantasy league. And when you draft someone in the first, like a rookie, you're nervous. And he delivered. I mean, finally he had 25 carries. Uh, was just 130, 40 yards, running the ball well, uh, had a touchdown. It, it, at the end, it was, it was tough because he, he could have had some more touchdowns because they were down there and they you know, tried to run the ball three, four times. He couldn't get the ball in. But with Sammy Watkins having a great day, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, um, Robinson Hartman, just amazing. But I was really impressed with the Chiefs' defense. They really stopped Deshaun Watson, and, and, I, and I wasn't pleased with how Watson played. I felt like, and even the play calling from O'Brien, too many I – mean, he got sacked four times through that terrible interception, but it seemed like he was going down the field too much, not trying to sustain drives. Uh, I just I was not impressed with the Texans at all. I expect that they give some points up, but they could not match the Chiefs' firepower. They, you, knew, you knew they weren't going to be able to match it, but the point is I was expecting more scores from them, and they traded Hopkins, and that Hopkins trade came back to, you know, he had a great game for Arizona, whereas uh, David Johnson had a nice game for them at running game, running back for the Texans, but just not even close. Yeah, I mean, I, I- David Johnson did have a good game, and and running back's been a real issue for the Texans basically forever. Um, But, yeah, Hopkins went out and had 16 catches, I think, (laughs) under uh, Cliff Kingsbury. So who knows uh, who who won or or lost this trade. But, of course, it's uh, swaying on the side of one of the best receivers in football. Ira, one of the things that stood out to me was this game was really clean. And I... uh, Usually at the beginning of seasons for the first four weeks or so, there's flags everywhere. And this game and most games actually looked like midseason form. I was surprised about the there was the fumbles. I was expecting more teams because they're not even hitting in practice. Um, so I expected more turnovers, and I expected a lot of you saw on special teams during the whole day in terms of yesterday, even the college games, a lot of fake punts, 
um, in the uh, Iowa State game. Some there were kickoffs returns for touchdowns, but you really didn't see the punt returns for touchdowns. I mean, I was impressed. The quality of play uh, was tremendous uh, for the for most of the pro teams. I mean, according the Jets, was not tremendous, but besides that, but overall, the fumbles, the turnovers, the penalties, those things, I thought, you know, it was great, great day of football. Okay, so let's go to uh, New England. Got some new faces. Miami had a lot of new faces as well. I really thought Miami was going to be a good team this year, and by good, I mean eight and eight, nine and seven, like getting over the hump. They didn't look that way yesterday. And and I had texted you, if Fitzpatrick keeps looking like this, it's two and needs to come in next week. I, I mean, he looked lost most of the game and so did Miami. Yeah, but a lot of Miami fans, when you texted it, I'm thinking, boy, a lot of Miami fans might like to see two in. You know, you save your quarterbacks ready to go, then bring them on. But yeah, I mean, Cam Newton, I think we could have expected, I think Chris Talk is like, I'm not going to be running, the, I'm not going to be a running quarterback, I'm going to throw the balls, but he carries the ball 15 times for 75 yards and two touchdowns. So it's the same quarterback he was at Carolina. And you could see how uh, New England was able to have ball control offense and, and just dominate the, the, the they outrushed. Uh, Miami, 217-87, and that's a problem Miami had last year with running the football uh, for most of the year. But uh, this was the most yards by a Patriots quarterback since Steve Grogan in 1977. Uh, but it was, look, it was one of those things where the Pats were up 14-3. They, they, they could have blown this game even more out, but uh, Harry had that fumble there uh, on the five-yard line. But I'm not ready to, to write Miami off. It was tough. Playing New England's difficult. Uh, but from the Patriots' perspective, I think they got, they're got they very pleased with how Cam Newton played. Uh, and as long as he stayed healthy, which is the, the most important thing. But running the ball and passing, uh, it's completely different than Tom Brady. But, uh, again, Brady had a bad day uh, and the New England won. So it's like, as, as Max Kellerman said today, one nothing Belichick over Brady. Well, you know what's funny, though? And, and I, I agree with you in this sense. Like, Miami didn't have anything to go on. There's literally no tape on Cam Newton in a Patriots uniform, whereas Bill, Bill Belichick faced Miami, you know, twice a year for the past uh, two decades. So I kind of get why Miami was a little behind the eight ball there. But uh, Fitzpatrick, I mean, going back to that, if you're a Dolphins fan, you want to see Tua next week, right? I mean, I haven't talked to any fans yet, but they have to be. Yeah, I think that that's one thing. But look, Fitzpatrick has had these games where he's had a lot of interceptions. He come back and play well. I, I look, it's one game. Uh, let's see. Let's see after two or three what happens. But again, you sort of liked. I don't know. Miami's defense didn't play as well. They had some signings, and I, I just didn't play so well. And especially against a team that's running the ball, you expect them to be able to stop those runs and, 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 and on those drives. So displeased. I think. I don't know which I'm more upset with. I was Miami defense and Miami offense, but I thought even on defensively, I felt like they didn't control the game well enough. Let's keep it in the AFC East. And you said, you know, seeing one game, you can't really make a decision. I can with the Jets, Ira. I, I <laughs> going into this year, my most confident bet was Jets under six and a half wins. That was their over under. And I'm looking at this team and the schedule and the roster. Like, there's no way these guys win seven games. This is like a three, four win team, and they looked like it yesterday. And Buffalo is good. I'm not going to take away from Buffalo, but the Jets just look bad. Well, I mean, the score was 27-17. I had the game on. It was one of the games I was watching all day. Um, it, was, it could have been just 60 to nothing. I mean, it, it, the Bills uh, had two fumbles. Uh, Josh Allen did, and it yeah. missed two field goals, and it was a mess. Otherwise, I mean, they're up 21-3. It could have been 50-3. to I mean, it, The Jets were pathetic, absolutely pathetic. They were outgained 404 to 254. The, the time of possessions was 42-18. to uh, But just, look, Josh Allen looked great. 
I mean, this is one of those, you know, he, he was in, in that draft of 2018. Was Mayfield was one. Sam Darnell was, was third pick. Josh Allen was the seventh pick. And Lamar Jackson was the 32nd pick. But uh, Josh Allen looks like, you know, there was a lot of doubt coming out of Wyoming, you know, how good he was going to be. But 312 yards, three touchdowns, but also his running, 14 carries, 57 yards. Uh, and they got, you know, bringing Stephon Diggs in as another wide receiver, like finally a Bills wide receiver, like for fantasy purposes, between Diggs and John Brown. It, the, the Bills are looking like a team with a really good defense. Like, so you're looking like, boy, this is really the Bills division. When I was watching that game, I'm thinking Buffalo's going to win this division this year over New England, the New England game on at the same time. And I'm thinking, boy, I think Buffalo's got this. But very impressive. Uh, you know, you've seen the maturation from Josh Allen, exactly what you want to see a quarterback, as opposed from Sam Darnell, which is going the other way. And that's the one thing where, so no one's in Buffalo saying, I don't know if Josh Allen's a quarterback for us. They know Josh Allen's a quarterback. I don't know any Jets fans that come from with Sam Darnell as their quarterback. It's funny. Some of them are, but they live in a state of delusion besides living in the state of New York. Um, no, I'm with you. And Josh Allen, this kid is just a winner, Ira. I mean, he's he's Russell Wilson light. Not the biggest guy, not the most athletic. And, you know, the fumbles were very uncharacteristic for him, but he is just a winner. And you can look at him when he's under huddle and when he's running that team, and you always have confidence in him. And if I was a Bills fan, I would too. Right. I mean, it's it was one of those things. And then Andrew Gase, well, we certainly were familiar with her, him down in Miami. I cannot believe that he got another coaching job. And it's just... He's terrible. I mean, it, and the whole thing is he apologized for putting Levy and Bell back in. I mean, one of the in my draft, like Levy and Bell fell. And I'm thinking, ah, I should have picked this. You know, Levy and Bell's in great shape. He says he's perfect, this and this. And I didn't draft him. And, like, I was sort of mad that I did it. And then I was watching the game, like, oh, thank God I didn't draft him. <laughs> but, I mean, it was terrible. And then he's apologized. When your coach is apologizing for putting someone in, because I knew he hurt his hamstring, but I put him back in the game. And, and not really talk about the game. It just, it just shows you the Jets are just a train wreck happening. So uh, this is a game. Let's go to the uh, last year's uh, number one overall seed. That'd be the fourteen and two Baltimore Ravens faced off against their division rival, the Cleveland Browns. I knew Baltimore would win. I was comfortable laying the points. I didn't think that they would just destroy Cleveland this bad. I thought with the off season and everyone's hearing that um, Baker Mayfield's matured and they got Kevin Stepanski now and they looked just as bad as they left off last year in Cleveland. It's scary. You know they they changed. The, the coach, Springman Stefanski, he's like, okay, we learned pretty good. I know they were calling the wrong plays. We have all this firepower. We're going to use it right, and they don't do anything. Again, problems after problems. I mean, Nick Chubb, oh, he's going to be a great. I heard people say he's going to rush for 2,000 yards this year, and 10 carries for 60 yards. Odo Beckham Jr., this is his bat. Odo Beckham Jr. is going to be the person that we think Odo Beckham three catches 50 yards. Uh, and again, from Baltimore's perspective, they look better. Lamar Jackson was just unbelievable at 205 yards passing, three touchdowns. Uh, he rushed for 45 yards. Uh, then they have now uh, J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State, who <laughs> looks like, you know, I loved him in college. Great running back, Mark Ingram. And Hollywood Brown is now developing as maybe that weapon. Plus, Lamar Jackson is smart. I mean, everyone talks about his accuracy. He was throwing these perfect strikes to Mark Andrews. Uh, it's just, again, I think the loss. You wonder what happened to the loss of the Titans last year. When they were rolling, 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 they lose the Titans. What's the carryover? I think they, they I think that woke them up. Now, are they going to stay, you know, you know, ready to play the whole year? And we'll, we'll talk to us in December and January when they're playing the playoffs again. But clearly, that was that game uh, lit a fire under Lamar Jackson, and they came back and they're ready to play. And just a total destruction. I mean, as much as the the Bills that looked over the Jets, the Baltimore Cleveland was even close. 
you, you're listening to Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's go to the battle of the senior citizens. And by that, I, you know, with all due respect, it's two future Hall of Famers, the GOAT against Drew Brees. And I knew it was going to take a little bit of time for Tampa Bay to come together. So I'm not that down on New Orleans kind of beating up on Tampa Bay a little bit. It wasn't as close as the score dictated, Ira, but it doesn't bother me. New, New Orleans is a perennial, uh, you know, NFC championship contender going against a team with a new quarterback, new system. I thought this would happen. Yeah, it was uh, that first play, the first interception when he was throwing to Mike Evans, and Mike Evans is someone who certainly watches fantasy and has had Mike Evans on my team. He he breaks off roots all the time. I, he just stopped running. I don't know what. And then and uh, Arian said that was Brady's fault. I don't know how that that interception was Brady's fault. It looked like Mike Evans stopped running. And then I feel bad for Jameis Winston, who was on the other sideline as a backup quarterback for the Saints. Saying, Look, that's why I threw thirty interceptions last year. My wide receivers don't run their roots sometimes, and uh, that's why I think you're going to see as the year goes on, Chris Godwin, I think, is his most consistent receiver with Gronk. You're going to start seeing Brady start throwing to Godwin. You saw it sort of at the end of that game. But the pick six was bad. I mean, another bad pass from, from Brady. But just a, a weird type of game. They got out to the lead, but then they just they, they were a mess that you know just did not play well. Uh, couldn't get the running game going with Fournette. Had you know five carries for five yards. Uh, Ronald Jones played okay. But it was just one of those games where it was just weird. I mean, I just don't Brady was that sharp that you can say it was a team which you expected. He wasn't familiar playing with these wide receivers, and the people who hate Brady were all on Brady's case. But I expect them to learn from this. There was no preseason, no practices, and I expect them. But, but Breeze, Breeze himself didn't look that great. He threw for 160 yards. Michael Thomas had the worst game that he's ever had as a wide receiver, three catches. But uh, it was one of those things. That, look, you look at Alvin Kamara, though, for the Saints, and you see everyone's texting me. He's fast. He's amazing. <laughs> I mean, out of the backfield and running, he made plays. But, boy, the Saints were very opportunistic on defense. They, and, again, I think it's one of those things where the pick six was important and the other, the other interception is you have a chance to, to, do, to you know, cause turnovers, you get the ball. But a big win for, big win for New Orleans and, and Tampa is, just, again, just one game. Yeah, Ira, had you, if you had said that um, uh, Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders would combine for six catches, I would say, what, on the first possession? <laughs> this is just not what I was expecting. But, hey, a, a win's a win, and it's, it's a, a division game. You've got to win those. Congrats to Drew Brees, and it puts them uh, in the driver's seat here for that uh, NFC South. Let's go to Rams in Dallas, and this Ira, I don't know. I mean, you're not on social media all that much, but Cowboys fans have not shut up since they drafted CeeDee Lamb. And this was another classic example of them thinking that they're going to the Super Bowl, coming out and getting embarrassed by what's probably a better team in the Rams. I don't know if I'm embarrassed. Not, not embarrassed. Embarrassed yeah. in the sense that they think they were going to go 16-0. The game was close. I, I just think Dak Prescott is overrated. And I, I just, I'm the, I mean, he, again, we talk about he wants to earn all $40 million a year. And then you're watching the end of the game, and they have the ball with a chance. Quarterbacks, like if Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers were in that same position, or Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes, you expect them to go down and score. Drew Brees, Tom Brady, all these other quarterbacks, you expect them to score. He's had like three chances at the end of the game to go down and lead it. Now, he's complaining that there was the pass interference, the offensive pass interference, but still, there was other chances. They had, they had, they had the final 10 plays of the game that Dallas had the ball, 15 yards. That's impossible. How do you get 15 yards on the final 10 plays of the game? Absolutely pathetic. Uh, Mike McCarthy, look, it's his first game, and there's all, you know, again, all the excuses, but, you know, Dak, he had, th- Dak had three sacks. Only threw for one touchdown, but I just thought one of those games where I expected more. You you really wanted the firepower from Dallas and the Rams after bat last year. I mean, Sean McVay 
and they're playing in their brand new stadium, but no fans. I mean, the stadium's four billion dollars. So there's a lot of money throwing around. Dak Prescott, Prescott wants a three hundred million dollar contract. They're paying and they're playing in a four billion dollar stadium. But the fact is, I think the Rams, the Rams needed to win this game to sort of forget about last year, and they did. I mean, I thought Jared Goff looked better than he did last year and didn't look like the mess and not having the distraction of Todd Gurley helped them a lot. But the most important thing was I just thought the Cowboys had this game to win. They couldn't win it and they you want to give the, I keep reading these stories about Dak Prescott wanting to be paid one of the three, two, three highest paid players was in quarter quarterbacks in the game. I just don't see it. I mean at one point I said put Andy Dalton in the game. Like put him in the game. He'll lead the team down to drive down for a touchdown. <laughs> Let's go to um the game that surely knocked a lot of people out of their survivor pools. I know a lot of people we're taking Indy. People are assuming the Jaguars are going to go 0-16. They do have the worst roster in football, so it's a very reasonable expectation. But these young guys on Jacksonville are not playing like that, Ira. Gardner Minshew is already a folklore hero uh, all throughout the country, not just in northern Florida. He looked great. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, uh, the rookie receiver, I knew was going to be a- an effective weapon. He had a touchdown. Undrafted rookie James Robinson played well. And what do you know? The Indianapolis Colts, who are supposed to be looking at a Super Bowl, perhaps, have said this great defense, get beaten by Jacksonville. Well, I think it's one of those games where people who were following the Chargers last year and saw the decline in Rivers were like, we're not surprised. Like, if you're LA yeah. Charger fans and you're looking, I was at that Steeler Charger game when he was like throwing four or six, you're like, well, that's the Phillip Rivers we've seen the last two years. So, again, I, didn't, I did not see this coming at all. Uh, but, boy, it just shows you in football, if you have passion, it's, it's such a game of emotion. And when a James Robinson, undrafted rookie, I see the first undrafted rookie in 30 years to start as running back um, from Illinois State, comes in there and rushes for 70 yards, has a great game. I mean, I have a picked up my fantasy team, so I was happy about that. But Minshew, 19 for 20, 173 yards and three touchdowns. And everyone's ready to get Minshew out and put Trevor Lawrence there, including me. And then, and out of nowhere, Minshew comes up with this great game. And you just got to be happy for the Jaguars to pull this upset on a Colts team that probably wasn't ready for this game at all. Now you'll see they have an injury. Marlon Mack got hurt. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, this running back, is going to be their, their lead running back from Wisconsin. So you expect that maybe to help them. Maybe they'll be more of a running-oriented team. But not really impressed with, with Phillip Rivers in his first game. No, I, I agree with you that, that, that this was just poor, and it was not what I was expecting. The loss of Marlon Mack, not going to be good. And this might be a long season for the Indianapolis Colts. They might be in the Trevor Lawrence uh, sweepstakes after this. So, Ira, in the most 2020 thing possible. The Washington football team is leading the NFC East after beating the Philadelphia Eagles. I did not see this one coming. And, I mean, hey, congrats to Washington. Well, it's uh, Carson Wentz. I mean, this, we're talking about quarterbacks that that people like the Baker Mayfields, the Sam Darnells. I think Carson Wentz is slipping into that category right now. Two interceptions, but most importantly, eight sacks. I mean, just I mean, he can complain about his offensive line, complain about his running game with Miles Sanders being out, but just to lose to the Washington football team uh, with Haskins, a quarterback who was just did enough to win, to be leading in the game and then blow that, uh, just just a bad loss. And, and for a team that two years ago was in the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl, uh, Carson Wentz is just, I mean, there's a lot of doubters because of the whole Nick Foles and Carson Wentz got hurt and those things. And Wentz got his contract and got his big money. But boy, poor performance. You cannot lose this game. Uh, as, we, as we know, these, this division is going to come down to like nine and seven, eight and eight. You can't be in a situation where you, you've lost to Washington, which doesn't. But I, look, I was imp- it's impressed. Again, emotion. The Washington and Jacksonville games, I put them back to back and how we're doing summary because those were the two big, big upsets where these teams just showed a lot of heart and a lot of emotion with a lot of no name players and came on. 
Um, let's go. We saw all these rookie running backs yesterday, and for the most part, they all looked really good. They all look like they're going to have NFL careers. Well, wide receivers take a little bit longer to come around, and you know some of them look good, with the exception of that dropped touchdown by DeAndre Swift. And DeAndre Swift didn't have an awful game, um, but we, he gave a touchdown away on the goal line as the game was about to end, and Chicago had just enough to outlast the Lions. That's the most Detroit opening game you could possibly see. They're up 23-6. to six. Over the Bears with Mitch Trubisky, who looked the balls were sailing. Awesome. You're waiting for Nick. They folds with their backups. You're waiting for like how in the world do they pick Trubisky? And then out of nowhere, he throws three touchdown passes in the fourth quarter to come back. And then the, the Lions have a chance. I mean, the pass that Stafford threw to Swift was right there. With, um, if people haven't seen this, Swift turned around. His back was to uh, his back was to the end zone, so he's facing the quarterback. He's standing right there. No, he's stupid. No, he's backpedaling. But Swift's got to catch that. I mean, he's. He's got to make that catch. And he just dropped it. There were six seconds left in the game. He catches it as they win the game. So it's just a terrible loss. I mean, everyone was, like, excited for the Lions this year. Stafford's going to have a big year. This has improved. This has happened. They drafted Swift. They bring in Adrian Peterson. And to lose that first game, just, you're right, a very Lions, very Lions thing to do. <laughs> so let's go to the uh, NFC North. Uh, we'll stay in the NFC North with, with the premier matchup of that week. You know, Minnesota's a team that – I always consider really good, at least on the defensive side of the ball. And I'm looking at this game like, I think Aaron Rodgers might be done. I, I think he's just mentally checked out, and I could not have been wrong on either counts. Aaron Rodgers looked really sharp, and they this game wasn't as close as the score dictates because Aaron Rodgers was in the driver's seat the entire game. Aaron Rodgers looked absolutely like, I mean, people said, well, he looks like, he, I've never seen him look better. He yeah. was firing the ball everywhere on the on the field. I mean, drafting Jordan Love, maybe Jordan Love, instead of drafting wide receiver, just motivate Aaron Rodgers more. I have no <laughs> idea. But, I mean, the time of possession was 42 to 18. The, the Aaron Rodgers threw for four touchdowns, 364 yards. And I just, as someone who did not draft Devontae Adams, I want to know from Minnesota's perspective, they really don't have any other wide receivers there. How does he catch 14 balls for 158 yards and two touchdowns? It seemed like he was open on every play. Devontae Adams is not the greatest route runner. I have no idea what Minnesota was doing on defense. Absolutely pathetic performance on Minnesota. Just question everything about this team. Uh, Nagochu, who they got from Jacksonville, did nothing in the game. I know they lost people on defense, but just a, just a bad, bad loss for Minnesota. Green Bay, remember, Green Bay was in the championship game last year against San Francisco. I was at that game in San Francisco, I, and then they played terrible. They played awful, but in this case, I just, I can't, I, I'm, if I'm a Green Bay Packer fan, I'm like, wow, we don't need any other wide receivers. Don't figure it out. Someone with Lazard or whatever, Aaron Jones is there running ball, but if you have Aaron Rodgers playing like Aaron Rodgers like that, I mean, you look that game, just put Aaron Rodgers, as I said, in Dak, in the Dak Prescott's position. You put him where he's down in a game, boy, he's going to come back and win, and then the fact that he can come out and, and you know, to take the lead and just, like, run away with the game, again, that's just, boy, if you have Aaron Rodgers, that's like 10 wins. I mean, you look at Green Bay right now, you're like, they're going to win 10 wins this year. There's no way if Aaron Rodgers plays like this, they're going to lose more than six games. I agree. And, and against a team like Minnesota, who's supposed to have this vaunted defense, you're absolutely right, though. And, and I did actually draft Devontae Adams, but he was wide open the entire game. And you're, there's not really anybody else you have to worry about. Well, I guess Marquez Scantling had a touchdown. Um, but there's not that many weapons. One thing I'd be encouraged about, especially from a fantasy purpose, is Aaron Jones looked good. And I thought that he was going to, you know, they drafted A.J. Dillon. I thought that this would be like kind of the year where Aaron Jones gets pushed to the side, but he's still going to be a focal point of this offense. So that's good for fantasy purposes. Yes, yes. Let's go to uh, Ira. I thought this was going to be 
It was definitely the most polarizing game of the week. I think, it, you know, you got, all right, Seattle coming across the country. Atlanta's got that explosive offense. Seattle's roster's not that good. All they really got is Russell Wilson. Seattle looked great that entire game, and I'd be encouraged if I was a Seahawks fan seeing them beat Atlanta like that. Can you believe if you just looked at the stats of this game? Because some people just you can't watch every game. So you see Matt Ryan threw for 450 yards, 450 yards, the most he's ever thrown for. And they had three wide receivers, three, go over 100 yards. <laughs> you see, 300-yard wide receivers. Matt Ryan, those are 450 yards, and the game wasn't close. That's how, bad, that's how bad Atlanta was getting beat by Seattle. And that's how great Russell Wilson was. Again, this is the story. Aaron Rodgers, again, I put these two games back-to-back. Aaron Rodgers looked fantastic, and Russell Wilson looked like he could do anything. He had 31 for 35, 322 touchdowns, four touchdowns. Uh, between him and Aaron Rodgers, eight touchdowns. And then he ran well. It's just like these guys are great. These are elite. They are so good at this game. When you look at guys like Sam Darnell and these other quarterbacks, and like they're trying to play quarterback, and you look at Russell Wilson and, and Aaron Rodgers, like that's how you play quarterback. Like that's the quarterback in this league, in this time, that if something breaks down, you know how to move out of the pocket, you know when to run the ball, you know when to throw the pass. Just just a perfect game. I just know how to de- know which wide receivers to, to throw it to, which running backs to throw it to. Russell Wilson was amazing, just as Aaron Rodgers was amazing. So this is the next game. I really didn't know what to think of this one at all. You've got a team with a new quarterback and a new coach. You've got a team with a new city. I'm talking about LA, uh, Las Vegas, taking on the Carolina Panthers. And I guess this is what we should have expected. It was a 34 to 30, pretty close game. It was a crazy game, and I think the one thing to develop from this game is when uh, uh, John Gruden calls uh, Josh Jacobs uh, from the running backs out of Alabama, uh, the next Walter Payton. He had he looked great. He's he great. Ninety three yards, three touchdowns, was doing everything, and they're going against McCaffrey. So it's the battle between two of the best running backs in the game, Jacobs and McCaffrey, the the MVP last year. But it was like I felt Vegas had control of this game, and I just think they, their defense is just a mess. At some point, I'm looking at some new players. I mean, Vegas started two rookie wide receivers in Edwards and Ruggs, and Ruggs looked great. Ruggs to me looks like Tyreek Hill. Now he got hurt in the second quarter, and then was out for like about a. But I like the fact that he came back. Like sometimes you see these guys get hurt and then they don't come back, like Devontae Parker. But uh, <laughs> the point is that he got hurt earlier in the game, and then he came back and he looked so explosive, so fast. Uh, I just think that look, this was a good first win, you know, for for for, for Vegas. Uh, they want to get back, and, and Derek Carr looks like he can play with his team and, and know exactly what to use. And having Jacobs as his running back. Carolina, Matt Rule, I, I think people viewed this year as with Teddy Bridgewater, Bridgewater at their quarterback as sort of a stepping, you know, like a learning year. So it wasn't that bad a loss. But I think, I think Vegas needed, needs this year more than Carolina, but uh, a good win for Vegas. So speaking of like a learning year, that's 100% what Joe, Joe Burrow gets this year. Cincinnati was just terrible last year. Their roster is still really bad. We talked about Jacksonville having a bad roster. Cincinnati's probably the worst. I didn't think that they were going to be able to hang with the Chargers, and they did. And Joe Burrow didn't blow the world up, but he looked competent. He looked like someone who had building blocks to get further. I'd be a lot more worried if I was a Charger fan in this win, 16-13 to over the Bengals. Well, you saw the things that you like about Burrow in terms of the fact that he can run and pass. If people don't realize how... Like he had that 26 yard touchdown run where he scored, but he just seemed, I mean, he, he made a mistake. He tried to shuffle pass for an interception. And then at the end of the game, he had a chance to win. That was one where the interference call was bad, where he threw the ball and they called it an offensive pass. You know, some of these calls, it is nice to see the offensive pass interference. I mean, as someone who, who just watches, you expect always defensive pass interference all the time. They're starting to call the offensive pass interference. 
that might be a trend throughout the whole year. But I look, Joe Burrow from LSU had the Heisman Trophy, one of the greatest years in the history of college football. But for to come into this game, uh, it was only rookie to start. And uh, look, I thought it, it was great. And I think it's something that Cincinnati can build on. And he just did not, he looked like, you know, he's older. He's 25 years old. So he's not one of these people that's like 21, 22 in the round. So he looked like he was ready to play and uh, expect things that, and, and look, A.J. Green played for Cincinnati. I don't think people thought, hey, we haven't seen A.J. Green play for a while. He came back and was healthy and played. So I think well, from a Bengals perspective, uh, at this point now, I mean, would you rather, this is a good question, would you rather be a Bengals fan or a Browns fan? I'd almost rather say I'm much more covered about Burrow at quarterback than Baker Mason. Oh, yeah, no, I would be too at this point, especially with the lack of talent just around Joe Burrow and what Cleveland has. It's not even close to, you know, who's getting the most out of their players at least one week into this. Keeping on that thread, though, how, you know, I, I talked about Tua with the Dolphins. How long are you waiting on Justin Herbert here? Tyrod Taylor, we know what he is. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but he didn't look very good yesterday. How, what's the leash here? When do we see Justin Herbert? I think you see Herbert soon. I, I think they liked him a lot. I mean, I think there's there's one of those situations where maybe Herbert would have won the job if they would have had a preseason. Yeah. But because they didn't have a preseason or any games or whatever, and, and that's, again, that's another theme of what people are talking about. Do you really need a preseason now? These teams look great. They look whatever. I, you really maybe only need to play, like, one preseason game. I think that coming forward is going to be – but I, I do. Justin Herbert, who was the star at Oregon last year, I, I expect – we'll see. I mean, it's hard if Taylor keeps winning. And maybe they're happy with the fact that, look, you didn't throw interceptions and, and the Chargers are in this win now mode and maybe they're like oh, you know look Rivers took his interceptions with him to the Colts we can just just let's you know run the ball play smart Austin Eckler as a running as a running game and go from there but uh no I, I think you expect to see Herbert I the question is is Herbert or Tua I think probably Tua a little before Herbert yeah I would agree with you there but I think both by by mid-season so uh, it's probably going to end up costing me my uh, fantasy matchup this week, but I started the 49ers D versus Arizona instead of the Ravens versus the Browns, and I'm kicking myself now. But again, Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury, they seem to know what they're doing. They look comfortable. I didn't think DeAndre Hopkins was going to get involved this quickly, and he did, and Arizona got a huge win over their uh, over their division rivals. I don't think enough people know about Arizona. I think they're under the radar. They play their games at 4 o'clock, and usually they're against – like another, like the main game, like yesterday, they were against the 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 Bucks uh, and the and the Saints. Bucks and game. Saints, yeah. So they don't play, and people don't really watch Arizona. And I was at the Steelers Zona game last year, and I'm like, God, Mary is really good. Like, I mean, he's the first pick in the draft, and we see his stats. But when you see him in person, he's so fast, he's accurate. I mean, great. I mean, he had 203 yards passing, 91 yards rushing, a touchdown both ways, and then to get Hopkins having 14 catches, 150 women, two wide receivers just blew up was was Adams for Green. Green Bay and Hopkins for Arizona. Uh, just uh, just tremendous. Now, Jimmy G had a chance. I mean, this, remember, San Francisco was in the Super Bowl last year. Like, this is a really good team. I know there's been turnover. They've lost some players. But what a big win for Arizona. And this is a team that, boy, could make a difference. I mean, that, the NFC West is just loaded with, with great teams between Seattle, Arizona, San Francisco. But, uh, but just I, I'm really impressed with Kyler Murray. I'm really impressed with what they're doing in, in Arizona. Kenyon Drink at running back, uh, just perfect. Yeah, speaking of the NFC West, as you said, you got L.A. who beat Dallas, you've got Seattle who crushed Atlanta, and then you've got Arizona who beat the Super Bowl, you know, the the reigning NFC champions. This division is stacked, Ira, and I don't know how it's going to shake out, and we don't know what's going to shake out tonight, Ira. It's you versus me. Pittsburgh Steelers taking on the Giants 7-15 um, at MetLife Stadium. I, I don't know how bad the score is going to be, but I have a feeling this one's going to get out of hand. I, I just don't trust 
the Giants yet, and I think that stifling, uh, the stifling defense of the Steelers is going to overwhelm them, and I think this one might get out of hand. Well, it's been great. I mean, the Steelers have just kept for years. They finally figured out their defense. They keep adding. Look at T.J. Watt, uh, his dominance, Mika Fitzpatrick, see what's going to happen with him, uh, Bud Dupree. I mean, you're starting to see this defense emerge, and it's taken, oh, as a Steelers fan, it's taken a long, long time to get there. But finally, the Steelers have this great defense, and now they have been back on offense. And I, I think you're going to see a different type of Steelers. I don't think people who put James Conner in, I think they're going to use every weapon. I think you're going to see Benny Snell in the game. I think you're going to see Andre Anthony McClendon, the running back from Maryland. I think you're going to see wide receivers, Clay Poole from Notre Dame. You're going to see, I don't think it's going to be, if it's 12 catches for Juju, I'd be shocked. I think Ben's going to throw the ball all around the field. I think it's going to be pretty expressive. I think it's going to be one of those, I think he's healthy. Everyone says that he's throwing great. He's throwing sharp. He's motivated. Uh, with a defense like that, I mean, I look for a Steeler dominant game, but again, the Steelers never beat teams are supposed to win. It's always, these are the games they lose. This is the game they always type to lose, whether they're the favorite. Um, but I'm excited to have Ben back, and uh, I would be at the game. Could you imagine my week this yeah. week? U.S. Open yesterday. Like, I would be at the U.S. Open on Sunday. Then I'd be at the Steeler game, and then I'd be in Wingfoot for golf on Thursday and Friday. This has been, like, the perfect sports week. But, of course, I'm in New York, and I can't even go to the Steeler-Giants game. Yeah, teases all around you, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, let's talk about Tennessee and Denver. And Denver's a team that a lot of people, uh, this will be the second game tonight, 10 o'clock. A lot of people have Denver as like a sneaky good team this year. I'm not seeing it yet. I don't think Drew Locke is there yet. I think Tennessee wins this game handily. I'm shocked at the line. It's like even. I'm like, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Like Tennessee, did everyone watch Tennessee at the end of last year? They were dominant. Like there were these this great team. And you think you're going to build upon that with Henry at running back and Tannehill and everything. I was surprised. I, 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 and considering how they play in terms of just using their offensive line, I was just shocked by that. No, I expect Tennessee to win this game. Um, I liked it as a, in terms of Jerry, Jerry Judy uh, at, at wide receiver for Denver. I'd like to see as the first round draft pick that they had. You know, it's this time for him to have this monster game at wide receiver from Alabama, but, and I want to see Drew Locke. I mean, just as a chance, I mean, they are so high on Drew Locke. I mean, they love Drew Locke at Denver, and let's see if he comes out and emerges as this, as this good quarterback. I'm excited about that game, and, and as, of course, the Steelers. Okay, Ira, uh, by the way, Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's go to college. Miami um, started off the season with a win, but I don't, I think you've got to be a little bit more convincing against UAB, but a win's a win. A win to win, and Derek King, the transfer from Houston, looked okay. I mean, I think he, he he did what he was supposed to do in terms of running and passing. It was against a very weak opponent, but it was uh, it was like one of those wins on a Thursday night. Uh, and when you look at some of the upsets there's been in college football this past week, uh, to get to get through that was good enough. And and so I think, look, that it was a building block. You think you now have a quarterback that you're going to be able to use and uh, and and see how the ACC goes forward for the rest of the year. Let's uh, let's talk another uh, ACC game here and Florida State. My, my, how the mighty have fallen! I mean, it seems like so long ago when the UM was the U, or when UM was the U, but Florida State was good just a few years ago, and now this team is just nothing like it was. I just. I, I'm, I watched the entire game. I don't. Mark Norvell comes in. It just doesn't appear like anything can happen in Florida State. They changed. Mark Norvell was great at, at Memphis. They just cannot get anything going. And I think what's more painful as a Florida State fan, as anyone who's followed it intricately, that Jeff Sims was a, court, was a true freshman 
true freshman, was from Jacksonville, Florida, and he was supposed to go to Florida State. And the last minute, he chose to go to Georgia Tech, and he threw for 277 yards. And that's a, and now Tech has won four straight against Florida State. Um, and, and Florida State was up 10 nothing on that game. And just to blow that lead, and there's a point where Georgia Tech missed two field goals, an extra point. It was sort of like Buffalo in terms of like missing all these extra points. And they still, all these chances Florida State had to win the game, and they just couldn't do it. And they couldn't even get a drive there at the end to do, to, to do anything. Just a bad loss for Florida State, a game that they really needed to win. And uh, Blackman was just awful, a quarterback. He, had, uh, threw the ball. he threw the ball 43 times and only had like 180 yards. I, I don't think I've ever seen someone throw the ball over 40 times and only have 180 yards uh, total passing. But just a bad loss, and they had 17,000 fans on hand. Um, but it's, a, again, gosh, I mean, you're just, you thought with the change of, of uh, coaching that might be something, but uh, we'll see what happens. Miami plays Florida State in a couple weeks. And that'll be very interesting. Let's uh, talk about Clemson and Wake Forest. And this one, you saw why Trevor Lawrence is Trevor Lawrence. Oh, they're so much fun to watch. Clemson is so good. And I, and I love how Dabo Sweeney said, this is our best team we ever had. I mean, they've lost so many players to the NFL, but they're finally recruiting great. So for years, Clemson was trying to compete against the LSUs and Alabamas, whatever, really with probably talent that was at the second and third levels, not as high as Alabama LSU. Now Clemson's getting the elite talent. They're getting the best players. And you're starting to see that. I mean, they brought in their second and third quarterbacks where some people say are all both they, they're gonna have to, you this game was interesting because you had three quarterbacks that played Lawrence and his two backups and they said all three will be playing in the NFL all starting and all starring in the NFL that's where Clemson is uh, Lawrence was just amazing at 351 yards and Etienne the running back again 102 I mean they blew out Wake Forest again they were up 27 nothing game wasn't even close and expect them to blow out everything buddy the whole year but you're excited because they are playing Notre Dame this year and that'll be one of the challenging games but Clemson is going to be one the whole way until they hopefully, you know, get in the college football playoff and have to play like in Alabama or Georgia and see what happens. Let's talk about Notre Dame. Uh, they played Duke, and this game was pretty close for a while. I'm not, everyone wants Ian Book, their quarterback for Heisman Trophy. Not impressed at all. Looked like a mess out there. Uh, he just did not play well. And the current Williams, the running back, uh, looked good. I liked how he did. But they were they were up. Uh, they were down 3 nothing most of the game. They used a fake putt to go up 7-3. They were only 10-6 at halftime. Now, I know they blew it out at the end, but i just not impressed with Notre Dame playing at home. It was weird. Uh, the atmosphere, there were some of the students that were there, but I, they were they were returned. Notre Dame returned their entire offensive line, and they had trouble moving Duke around. So I'm not, as as a team, like everyone was all high about how great Notre Dame was and how great Ian Book is. Um, we'll see. And they play Clemson. They beat Clemson. We'll see what happens. But And they gave uh, their coach a huge contract going forward. But uh, I, I'm not impressed with that, that win, 27-13. What happened with North Carolina and Cuse? I just wanted to, that Sam Howe, their quarterback from North Carolina, people are talking about as being a superstar quarterback, so I was watching him, and he looked really good. He looked, I would say, okay, like good to okay in terms of what he played, but the blowout Syracuse 31-6, and that's a team like North Carolina that you think might give Clemson some uh, trouble in the ACC. So from the ACC perspective, we're seeing what teams are going to challenge Clemson, and as you know, last year North Carolina almost beat Clemson, so you're thinking, wow, they might do it again, and Mac Brown's their coach, and he's exciting and all those things. But... Uh, Syracuse bad loss for them because things were looking up for Syracuse and that was they just got totally destroyed. Ira, what's going on with the Big Twelve? <laughs> well, let <laughs> me skip through Oklahoma and Texas because they sort of played high school teams. Oklahoma and Texas when when, when like you stop the game early and I couldn't even find the Oklahoma game was even on television. I, I've never seen a game on television, but I think what's interesting is the Sun Belt Conference. 
they, they, uh, Coastal Carolina, Arkansas State, and Louisiana Lafayette all beat Big 12 schools. So this is the only time they play non-conference schools. So the Sun Belt Conference, total domination. I mean, you expect maybe Coastal Carolina to beat Kansas, but the Arkansas State game over Kansas State, it's the first win Arkansas State has had in 15 years over a Power 5 conference. Um, and then Iowa, the Iowa State-Louisiana game, Bright, Brock Purdy is another person who say, oh, NFL ready, NFL quarterback, he looked horrendous. 16 for 35, 145 yards uh, for a team. Iowa State was ranked in the top 20, and to get to lose at home to Louisiana Lafayette, uh, just a disaster. Uh, Big 12 looks terrible. But, again, it's like the way they're going to do the playoff this year, and if the Big 10 doesn't play, you expect, like, Oklahoma or Texas to get in. And, and that's what we're waiting for, the Oklahoma-Texas winner to get into that, into the Final Four. What are you uh, looking forward to this week, Guy? Not so many great games. Uh, the SEC is going to start next week in the Big 12. So you have, I think, the one interesting game. you got, you got uh, uh, South Florida and Notre Dame. Uh, UCF is playing ABC at, at Georgia Tech at 3.30. And then at 7.30 on ABC, Miami at Louisville. So you've got those type of games. But it's not a, the following week is going to be a much better week because the SEC and the Big 12 actually took this week off. I think a couple teams are playing. But they took this week off because in case there was some delays in the first start, they'd have it. But, boy, you know, for the most part, most uh, the vast majority of players played almost every single game went on so you know all you know it was pretty good for college football now the big tens was supposed to decide on sunday maybe they'll start to play but they postponed their vote uh their their vote whether they're going to do something so it's pretty uh it's, uh, the big ten has got to start if they're going to decide to play before going to the spring they got to decide now because i think if they go to the spring i think it's clear from the seniors that no one's going to play like anyone who has a chance to go to the pros so they're either going to get started in like mid to late october or they're not going to play at all and the same thing with the pac-12 you're listening to iron sports this is the true oldies channel i'm mike balsamo just about 20 minutes or so left to go and ira a couple of months ago i think between me and you there weren't many other people around this country saying man i could really see miami in, in the eastern conference finals or even in the finals and now here we are and miami looked really really good against milwaukee this is very encouraging well, and I don't want to hear on this game five when the Miami won that was happening last week, 103-94. Oh, Giannis was out of the game. They would have, they could have played. They could have, they, they had Milwaukee's number. They figured them out. They, they deserved this. There's no Giannis was hurt, this and that. They totally figured out how to beat the Bucks. And, uh, and, and, you know, in a game where, uh, and I liked at the end of this game, they put Iguodala in the game. They really wanted, I, th- I thought uh, Spolster did smart in terms of bringing him in and, and, and making sure that, you know, the Bucks opened the game well. They were like 20 to 15 run, but then the Heat went on that 30 to 9 run. But I just liked the fact that they closed out well. It wasn't really that close at the end, uh, but it was great. It was, it, this, this is, look, everyone is a Heat fan is like I am. I've seen this team, the trades when they brought Crowder in, everything was great. And it gave them time to rest too i mean they've been off now for almost a week and you hope maybe it's not too long but uh, by clinching the series against the bucks and letting boston toronto go into these these wars but uh, a really big it was great i think if you said the season began the heater in the eastern conference finals you'd be ecstatic with that but right now that's not good enough i mean they definitely want to go to the nba finals and have a chance to win the end to win to be the champion so ira before we move on what do you think happens with Giannis Antetokounmpo? I, there's the rumors he unfollowed the Bucks on social media, unfollowed some of the players. Now they're saying, um, you know, they're going to do everything they can to keep him around. What do you think happens here with the Greek freak? I think he stays in Milwaukee. He seems to be someone. He had a meeting with Lazary, the owner. Um, he's they're going to offer him. They're going to give him a contract of two hundred fifty million dollars. Um, I just think he'll build around him. But they. 
again, he is in shooting 169, about 169 players in shooting shots that are like, I guess, not layups and not three-pointers. He's one of the worst shooters in the league. And I was surprised. I know this sounds a little weird, but I was surprised that during the lockout, he said, I, my house doesn't have a basketball court. So I went two months without shooting basketballs. I'm like, if there's any person that shoot a basketball, it's you. <laughs> like, he's the one who needs to improve. So I'm like, I can't believe that you earn zillions of dollars a year and you can't find a house with a basketball court. I mean, that was insane when he said that. And clearly, they got it. They uh, Look, every time in the regular season, they are a regular season team because you see how they play. And Giannis comes down. I saw them play live three times this year. They look unbeatable. They're three-point shooters all over the place. Everyone, If you, if you don't double Giannis, he'll drive right by you and whatever. But I think... In a series level, when you keep playing game after game after game, you see the same team and get to prepare. This is what happened last year with against Toronto. Remember, they were up 2-0 to Toronto. The Toronto won four in a row, and now Miami's won four out of five against them. Once you figure out, okay, Giannis brings the ball down. He's in the middle of the court. You've got to double him, but then jump out. They sort of, it's, they're so predictable. And Budenhauser, their coach, he blew it in with Atlanta when he had the best. He's had now the best record three times in the East and not even make it to the NBA Finals. So I do think he's going to stay, but I think there's, there's going to have to be something. I mean, he does. He, there, there has to be some change in how they play in the playoffs uh, in order for them to get through to the finals. So, Ira, here's an interesting stat that you found. This is the lowest, this Heat team is the lowest seeded team to make the Eastern Conference Finals since the Knicks in 1999. What does that go to show for the lack of parity in basketball that a five seed hasn't made the finals in 21 years? It's crazy. Um, let's talk about Boston and Toronto because this one had all the makings of a great series, and we're going to see Boston move on, and that's who the Heat face starting tomorrow night. Wow. You know, that first game, Boston goes up and wins uh, three. They go up 111-89. They win, and they're up 3-2. And then you're waiting for game six. And I was at a fancy draft that night. I was watching everything. It was like crazy. But what a game. That game six will definitely go down in the double overtime Toronto win. Uh, Norman Powell, big shot after big shot. I mean, you look at the minutes. Siakam for Toronto played 54 minutes. And Nobi, 50 minutes. Lowry, <laughs> Van Fleet, Norman Powell. I mean, they only played like six, seven guys. And the same thing for the for the for the uh, for the Celtics, but Toronto figured out, and this is what you got to learn for the Heat: is Toronto figured out how to shut down uh, Boston. Is really Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker played 52 minutes and scored five points. He was two for 11, and it really hurt in terms of how Boston operated by being able at, at playing. I mean, they were playing this amoeba boxing two defenses and everything like that. But I got to give Toronto uh, Nick Nurse just a great job, and that was that was a win. I mean, th- this game was crazy because Boston had this, and this is a closeout game. So you just they were up four points at the end of the regular season, regular uh, the regular before overtime, the first overtime, and the second overtime, and Toronto was able to just hang in that game and pull it out. At just a just a great great win and setting up a game seven now in the game seven that was another fairly good game but it was it was like one of those games where uh where tatum you know uh, made a couple big shots of the game uh to do but there was a chance i mean van fleet had a chance of three he had a a three-point shot at the end of the game to tie it with nine seconds to go that he missed but uh it was like nice so that boston ended up winning 92 87 in the game seven toronto you know it's 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 a shame as someone who watched Toronto play this year, I think Siakam did not emerge as that superstar player that I thought he would. And I, he played really great during the regular season, but he just did not. He seemed to be more complimentary player. Like under last year with Kawhi Leonard, he was a really good number two. But in this playoffs, he could not take the number one, put too much pressure on Van Exel, too much pressure on Lowry. Um, well-coached team, but just missed out losing to Boston. Now remember, Boston played this whole series without Gordon Hayward. 
Ira, okay, so it's going to be Boston and Miami starts tomorrow night. Like I said, what do you think happens here? I think I think Miami's going to win, and I think Miami wins because I think Bam Adebayo is going to dominate the series. I think just watch for him because Tice is the center for Boston, and they've had trouble rebounding and. Brown and Tatum, they get by, they sometimes don't try to rebound. I think I'm looking for Bama Bido to get like 15 to 20 rebounds a game, be active, block shots. I don't think there's anybody on Boston that can stop Bam, and I think he's going to play great. I think, and, I, and they played during the regular season twice and lost. That's when it was different. They had Drogic coming off the bench, so you're going to have to look for Drogic to play well. But the fact that the Heat have the Butlers and the Crowders that can play defense on Tatum and Brown and stop them and hold them back, and I, I Hayward might come back in the series. I'm not holding out, and, and he's been hurt for so long with his ankle. I think he, he's not going to be, I think truly will be a non-factor if he comes back. But just to be able to stop Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, uh, uh, in terms of, and then doing something with Walker. Now, whether Drogic, but the, the thing that the Heat have shown throughout this entire series is that they have players that can play, everybody can play good defense. Even Duncan Robinson can make smart plays and how they use defense. I, I don't think, obviously this is a seven-game series, I think the Heat win this in five. I think the Heat are a better team. I, I expect Drogic to play really well, and I really expect, I, I think when you're over this year, they bam out of bio. Where did he come from? He's dominating. And I just, because I don't think there's anybody on the Celtics that can stop him. All right, we've got just about 10 minutes left. And what does it say about the Nuggets to be down 3-1 to one to Utah, come back and win that series, be down 3-1 to one to the Clippers, come back and tie it up and force a Game 7, some resolve out of this Denver team? Well, not just down 3-1. I mean, they were they, the Clippers won the game 3, 113-107. Then they and then they were uh, then and then they then they won the next game. They were up 3-1. So they won so up 3-1 and suddenly Denver's down 16 points in the third period. And I think the key this game turned. I know this is weird to say, but I watched it uh Morris, Marcus Morris for the Clippers, who is jawing with everybody. He yelled. I mean, that team, they yelled with, when they played the Mavericks, they were yelling at Doncic. They were stepping on the feet. They were doing all these things. He looked at Paul Millsap and just, like, pushed him, started screaming at him. And Paul Millsap is a veteran in this league. Paul Millsap has been around. He played at Atlanta. He's, you know, he's on his, like, last card with $30 million. And he's, he's a complimentary player on the team. But it was almost like he was embarrassing Millsap. Like, it was like... Something and, and I don't know what that, but I think that Millsap came out after that, scored 13 points in the third quarter, motivated the team. They're down 17 points. They come down, and, and the Clippers couldn't, couldn't do anything, just absolutely couldn't do anything for that. And Michael Porter Jr., who in the previous game said, oh, uh, you know, what happened? Uh, why didn't you guys win the game? Because why didn't touch the ball up? He made a big three, and then on Zubak had this rebound. The seven-foot center for, for, uh, for the Clippers has a rebound, and Porter just blocks it. What a win. And they come back. So then, then game six, and you're again like I'm watching all the football games, so I have this game on my iPad, so I'm watching it again. I'm like thinking, okay, now the lead is again. It's 73-55. The Nuggets are down with eight minutes to go in the third quarter. You're like, okay, they're not going to blow this lead again. They're up by 18. Again, what happens? The Clippers blow the lead. And this is where, you know, Kawhi Leonard, this might be the load management. I mean, he's used to not playing every other day. He's used to playing like one game, taking three, four days off, playing another game. Maybe he is getting tired because they look terrible in the third and fourth period. And not only did the Nuggets, they were outscored 30 to 8 that they outscored the Clippers. I mean, this is a team you're up 18 and then you lose by 13. <laughs> the run was unbelievable. They shot 54% for the game, 50% from three, the Nuggets did. And Nikolai Jokic just dominating this game. 34 points, 14 runs, 
seven assists, and it's like the Clippers have no answer for that. So now you're going to game seven, and Paul George's like, oh, I don't have to worry about it. That's Tuesday night. But I'm pumped for this game because this is like, I, I just don't like what the Clippers do. I don't like the load management. I don't like the dirty plays. And I think that, I have not heard the national media talk about this at all, but I think when they called out Millsap, and Millsap has so much He's, he's so so much respect in the Denver locker room. And when they saw what Morse was doing to him, I think it motivated Miltap, but also motivated the team. Like, we're not going to get beat like that. Whereas, like, we're going to turn to the Rockets series. I think the Rockets didn't care. Like, the Rockets are like, okay, you want to beat us and, and make fun of us. We don't care. We're going to jaw. But I think the Nuggets, this show, the Nuggets are showing me a lot to battle back, and I would be surprised if they win and, and play the Lakers. No, I'm not going to be surprised at all either now. Especially, like you said, they, they look tired, the Clippers. And maybe that is due to the, what they've done all season, how they, how they structure there, you know, how they were going to rest their players. Let's go to L.A. because the late or the other L.A. because the Lakers are going to be standing by for the winner of this series. They knocked the Rockets out. and They also seem to have knocked Mike D'Antoni out of Houston because he's not coming back. <laughs> well, I again, I just I like first of all, uh, playoff Rondo came in. They're looking for that third. I mean, he has 11 points, 10 boards and eight assists in the one game. And then he had 22 points in the other game. Just Rondo out of nowhere. And it was hurt. And it, during the regular season, he was terrible. Then he gets hurt, and people are like, well, he's not going to be that much. But he comes in the playoffs, and he seems like every time in the playoffs, Razan Rondo plays great. And he is amazing. What a catalyst. And they put Caruso between Caruso and Rondo. I have friends who are Laker fans are like, I've never seen his pass like this. And LeBron, I cannot stand. Can I go to Max Kellerman one more time? Oh, I don't know if it's Matt. I don't know if LeBron's the best player in the league. What? You have to be delusional not to see how much LeBron. <laughs> LeBron dominates in a game. Blocking. The one game he had four blocks. He's all over the place. And you know what the Lakers said? Oh, you want to go small? You want to sw- we'll go small. We didn't play Jamal McGee. We don't play Dwight Howard. We're going to go small just like you. We're going to beat you at your own game. And LeBron's running around blocking shots left and right. Just tremendous. Uh, a, a great win. A great series win for them. Because I thought the, Hawk- the Rockets would be dangerous. I mean, losing Daniel House. Their, well, their seventh man because of a protocol violation because he brought a guest into his room at the uh, at the bubble didn't help Houston at all. But AD again, some people say, well, I think Anthony Davis is the star of the team. He's not the star of the team. He's a very good player. He's tremendous and he played great every game. But LeBron is just amazing. And I, I'm the first person that LeBron Jordan's better than LeBron. But boy, LeBron turned it on in this series and played. And this is why. He's the best player in basketball right now, and not Giannis, and not Kawhi Leonard, uh, but he played great. I mean, 29 points in the closeout game. And when they had a chance, when they were up 3-1, they blew them out. That was the difference between them and the Clippers. LeBron James, 29 points in that final game, and Westbrook only 10 points. And, and now the, the Rockets look like a mess. Like, they thought the Westbrook-Harden combination would work with D'Antoni. I don't know where they go from this. They give all these draft picks. They, and they have, I don't know what they do because they're all, they're small and I don't know what will happen. But from the Lakers perspective, a great win and they're, they're positioned to play well against both Denver or the Clippers. Uh, let's uh, move on about five or so minutes left. Time flies here on Iron Sports. Um, let's talk a little uh, U.S. Open. And this was uh, one that was marred by some issues with Novak Djokovic, as we know. Well, Djokovic should be in the finals. We should be talking about him winning his 18th title. I think it was a joke. I think anyone who follows tennis knows it's a joke. I would like next week we'll maybe spend a couple more minutes on this. But for him to be disqualified was ridiculous because I watched the rest of the time. You see Thiem throw his rackets. You see other players go crazy. Nick Kyrgios goes, I can't believe Djokovic didn't get a higher fine. When I watch tennis after tennis, people are firing balls over the place. They're throwing rackets. They're doing all these things. He 
I watched, I've seen this over 200 times. I swear he did not hit the ball that hard. He was hitting the ball back to the backstop. It was a mistake, an honest mistake. Move on. There's no way to disqualify him. But uh, Dominic Thiem, good win for him. I mean, he was sort of like it was his time to win in terms of he finished. He has been in, lost in the finals to Nadal twice at the French Open, in the Australian Open this year, and an amazing match against Djokovic that he lost. And, uh, and so I thought the semifinals against Medvedev was the one who was in the finals last year against Nadal. That was going to be the match. And, and Medvedev had, well, again, the linesman screwed up that match because there was a point where Medvedev hit the ball and our theme hit it and it was clearly out. It was like out by a mile. And Medvedev didn't challenge it because they thought, you're calling that out. And they wouldn't call it out. And then Medvedev goes and says, well, then I'm going to challenge it. They go, too late. You can't challenge it. He goes, well, well, you missed it. So they showed it on the replay. It was out by a mile. So he loses the first at 7-6, and he's up 5-3 in the second and third and loses those. And then Thiem goes on in the final, and he – Thiem goes on in the final when he plays Sasha Zarev. He plays Sasha Zarev in the final, and he just doesn't uh, – and, and Zarev uh, is, uh, is someone who has been in the top five – in tennis, but never has he never beat a top uh, ten player in the history. He's twenty five years old, never beat a top ten player in a in, in a in a Grand Slam. But because Djokovic's out, he didn't have to do it this time either, and plays theme and, and dominates theme in the finals, up two sets to none, and just falls apart in the third and fourth set. And then he's up in the fifth set and theme. They're both tired, they're both exhausted. But I love how theme came on and, and closed him out and won at seven six in the tiebreaker in, in, in five sets. What about the uh, women? I well, disappointing for Serena. I mean, she's trying to get her 24th title uh, to tie Margaret Court. And it's like, this was her perfect. Half the top women are out of the tournament. And uh, she then played Azarenka, who she beat probably like, I think, 10 straight times in the, uh, in the semis, in, in, in the semifinals. And, and she loses that. She was she first, the first set, she wins the 20 minutes, she's up 6-1. And that's the one weird thing about tennis. In tennis, you could win a set 6-0, and that doesn't count. You only get one set. It's not like in baseball where you score 10 runs in one inning, and then you carry the 10 over. That's what's so difficult about tennis. So even though she looked dominating, she was up even in the second set, then to blow that and to, and to lose to Azarenka, who I think Azarenka is someone who's had two Grand Slam wins, has been a great player for years. Uh, she's 31 years old, but she never gets seated. Because she's had a child, had custody issues, had injury issues. But is someone who I think is a problem that they haven't been seated. But for her to make the finals, and then she goes against Osaka in the finals, who had won the U.S. Open before, won the Australian. This was going to this was her third victory. Uh, and Osaka beat two good Americans, Shelby Rogers and Jennifer Brady. Uh, Brady looked great, so that's good for Americans per se. But uh, in the finals, it was Osaka was just again just one of those things where terrible in the first set. Sort of hung in there in the second, wins the second, and then wins the third over Azarenka. Uh, so a good win for Ozaka. But uh, the field was so watered down from the women's perspective and then theme for the men's side. But uh, it was a weird U.S. Open without fans there. Missing Djokovic was bad in terms of not being in the final. Missing Nadal. And this might be Serena's last chance to, to win a Grand Slam. Um, let's talk golf. We brought it up before. You happen to be in New York. Winged Foot is where we're going uh, to see the tournament this weekend. And I'm really, really excited about it. Well, you have to be excited. Uh, 2006, the last time it's played here, Phil Mickelson going to 18. <laughs> you know, here's someone who has had finished six, his six times 
second place in the U.S. Open. Uh, he has with wins at Mad, three wins in Masters, one winner British, one winner PGA. So he has the tournament. He has everything to win. Jeff Ogilvy had already finished. He's in the final group, and he hits the ball like in the. He was he was going to the food. He hit in the food truck one time. He hit it in the food tent the other time. And all he needed was the fourth of playoff. And that those days it was a match playoff was a was a bogey. So he's going to eighteen. Par wins the tournament. Bogey puts you in a playoff, and he does a double bogey on 18. So a complete disaster, a story of his life in terms of what it was. So now it's back. Wouldn't this be a story if Mickelson won Wingfoot now after having that terrible loss that he did? Um, and it's excited. But this is one of those tournaments where Ogilvy won, I think, with plus five. Like you're looking for, I mean, even if someone gets a plus one or plus two should win this tournament. So pumped for this. I mean, the odds, uh, DJ is eight to one. Rom's 10 to one. Justin Thomas, 12 to one. Rory, 14 to one. Morikawa, 18 to one. Tiger, 40 to one. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. But I'm so excited. We follow golf all year. You have all these players, every, all these big names. And you really expect one of these big names to be in competition. I don't see a no name coming up. This course is too hard. So many good players. Uh, just pumped for this whole, this tournament this week. Let's talk a little bit of hockey, Ira, and it's one of those things where you you get to see a lot of the parody in hockey, in the, especially in the earlier rounds, but now we're seeing the cream rise to the top. Uh, uh, the Islanders are going to have their backs to the wall after a Cinderella-esque run. Tampa Bay has just been overwhelming for them. They've got uh, one game left there as Tampa is up 3-1, to one. and same thing in Dallas. We talk about hot goalies. Anton Kudobin has just been lights out. Dallas has a 3-1 to one lead as well, and that they have a game tonight at 8 o'clock that could close it out, send Dallas to the Stanley Cup. Ira, it's kind of funny, though. You made a comment uh, to me over the weekend about how you think maybe the NBA tries to side skirt NFL a little bit. You know, they, 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 want, to make, they want their games to be seen. Hockey doesn't really care. They played a game at 3 o'clock yesterday on the opening day of football, and they're going to play a potential uh, series-ending game tonight at 8 o'clock going against two Monday night football games. It's a little crazy, but it works for them, right? Yeah, you know, and I really wish that it would have been sad that with all the sports that are going on now, that, that if hockey or basketball could not have started earlier in their bubble, like I think they think so too. Like what if hockey was able to start and finish before football? I mean, that would have been amazing to have all these nights to have finish it. So you finish before football, you finish your baseball playoffs, saying baseball had to run when it run, ran. But it's a shame that they could not have got basketball and hockey started like maybe a month before and finished right before football. That would have been better for both sports because I'm telling you, for the NBA, they're going to run into problems because you see the ratings for the NFL. There's no way they're going to compete. They're going to be NBA finals against if they run, if they play them on a Monday night game or Thursday night game, certainly against the Sunday. There's three games out of the week is the NFL football. I don't know what they're going to do. And then just Saturday night, big college football games. So I don't, the NBA is going to get destroyed for their finals. And I think that it's a shame for them that they couldn't have figured out the bubble format earlier, both for hockey too, because I think they would have both benefited to be able to get this done before football season started. No, you're right. I mean, if they had started two weeks earlier, the Stanley Cup could have been ending right as the NFL season started. That would have played perfectly, got their ratings up, but they did it as best they could. They haven't had a positive uh, test in six weeks inside the hockey bubble, so good for them. Um, just a minute or two left here, Ira. What's going on in baseball? Because it seems like the season's ready to wrap up just two more weeks of baseball and then really there's eight teams they're going to be a three-game series and uh, of that it does not matter don't worry if someone wins the division or finishes whatever make the playoffs. it doesn't matter the home field doesn't matter nothing matters no fans no nothing so it's it's a, it's a total joke how they're you know, doing it in terms of the fact just get in the playoffs and it looks like the national league is all and the american league is set there's the eight teams oakland houston chicago minnesota cleveland Tampa bay toronto and the yankees who are finally starting to win some games 
but the National League is still, boy, the Mets. I mean, the Marlins are in the mix right now for the playoffs. Like, if a playoff ends today, they'd be in it, which is – so it'll be, it's going to be exciting to see how this season ends uh, in terms of interesting games. Dodgers-Padres start play a series tonight. Uh, this past week, I was interested in the Dodgers-Astros series. The Dodgers were up 5-2 in the ninth and, you know, again, rolling and telling Jansen. Just, again, another pressure game. Blows the lead, blows the game up 5-2. Now they win the next game on Sunday. But if you're like a Dodger fan, you're like, oh, my gosh, the only way we can win is if Jansen blows the save opportunity. And you have all the hatred <laughs> because the Dodgers feel the Astros stole the World Series from them. So that's why this was, you know, if you saw on TV, there was the, the big game on TV, the both Saturday and Sunday. But uh, I guess the only thing in baseball, Alec Mills of the Cubs threw the second no-hitter of the season. It was only on his... 15th career start. He threw 114 pitches. That was last night. And Albert Pujols had 660 home runs, tying a number when I grew up. It was like it was Aaron 755, Ruth 714, and Willie Mays 660. So he ties Willie Mays at 660 for the all-time home run. Uh, Lou Brock passed away, a big car, great Cardinal, great all-time uh, 3,000 hits, all-time stolen base leader. But uh, so no, I'm excited. We got we got we got this week of baseball, and then we got uh, next week of baseball, and then we got the playoffs. Ira, uh, let's wrap it up with a little auto racing. What did you see this week? <laughs> well, I did. Oh, I'm sitting there watching all those things. I did put on Richmond where Brad Kozlowski wins. Uh, he dominated, uh, led 192 uh, laps in one of the playoff races. And uh, you know how much I like my F1. Am I getting into it? <laughs> Lewis Hamilton won. He's one away from Michael Schumacher's all-time record of 91. So he won the Tuscan Grand Prix, uh, and he's one away. And this was Ferrari's 1,000th race. But uh, I love how Houston puts that on on Sunday morning. So I do get like you know that about an hour and a half of that. But boy, I, I, one of the call, one of my callers said you're saying the word pump too much on the air. Like you're too. And I go because I am pumped. Like there are so <laughs> many. This is like I got NBA playoffs, which I live for. I have U.S. Open golf, <laughs> which I live for, and I got the I got Steelers playing tonight. College football. This is this is great. This is a sports heaven. It absolutely is. And we are out of time. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on Sports.